Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Let's stand, if you would please, Revelation chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine." When he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. We'll stop reading there for tonight. Thank you. You may be seated. And again, the first six of these seven seals are dealt with here in chapter 6. And then chapter 7 acts as a parenthesis and it's the first time we're introduced to the 144,000 here in chapter 7. So it's as though we're getting a glimpse of some things that are going on uh, on earth. I think one of the things you can clearly conclude from this seal tonight is during the opening of the first four seals, there are going to be people during the tribulation that do get saved. We see that throughout. One of the things we want to be clear on based on what 2 Thessalonians tells us, is it's not people who've heard the gospel prior to the tribulation. And that's I, I want to say that and say that repeatedly because that's a, a, a common false teaching. Um, and I don't know that you know there's saved people that get mixed up on that, but uh, there was a, a series some years ago. My understanding is in that series, the author of Left Behind, the authors wrote that there would be people who'd heard the gospel getting saved. I know it was a fictional series getting saved after the tribulation came. So, for instance, uh, people coming to the realization, oh, what we heard was true about the gospel. Well, we would understand it's a seven-year period. Number one, there'll be children born during that time. Uh, that certainly the gospel will be preached during the tribulation period. We know the two witnesses are here. The 144,000 will be preaching and proclaiming the gospel and singing that song. And so the gospel will be preached, just not by the church, uh, every, you think of this, at the rapture, every believer is gone. Every believer is taken out prior to the great tribulation. 
And so, uh, undoubtedly, there will still be Scripture around. I, I would assume that. Uh, how people will come to that knowledge. But the fact is, there will also be people on this earth who never heard the gospel. I believe that. Is, some teach, no, the Lord's not coming back until, you know, if you want to hasten the coming of the Lord, preach the gospel more, and that will speed up His return. And uh, they have texts that they use to say that I don't, I don't believe you can do anything to speed up or slow down His return. His return is imminent, meaning the moment he could have come 40 days after he ascended to heaven. He's imminent. It doesn't mean immediate, but it means any time, any time. And the Bible is clear on that, by the way. The Bible is clear that his return is imminent. You need to lock that into your thinking. And here's, as we go through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of guesswork done or some people that are guessing and pretend like they know about what all these different things mean. You can be careful of that. But we are reminded, obviously, there are people that are going to be martyred during the tribulation period. And we find them here uh, under the altar, the Bible says. And why it's described that way, I cannot fully explain. I do know this. Uh, we as, as believers are called salt of the earth, and every sacrifice shall be salted and we know these did not offer their life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of anybody, anyone else. But we see their souls below the altar. And it's the idea that they're offered up. Paul talked about his, his, his life would be offered up in sacrifice to God. He, I'm now ready to be offered, he says. And the time of my departure is at hand. And so this whole wicked world is still sacrificing people, the innocent for the guilty. And so that's what we see in CO5 is those who are martyred uh, for believing the Word of God and for their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and there they are at the base of the altar. So we're going to look at three things tonight in this, in this uh, fifth seal. We've entitled this. The first, the first uh, four verses we entitled, excuse me, first eight verses, seals one through four, the four horsemen, of course. We dealt with all that last week. Tonight we're referring to this seal as the faithful host. You have a host of people here uh, who are faithful. We're going to point out three things about them and I hope tonight, with the Lord's help, to point out something very interesting as a theme through Scripture. Um, and one of the things that comes out of this is the seeming injustice of persecution. It seems as though God just lets evil people do harm to good people and as though He's doing nothing about it. You hear that, not a complaint from these, but how long, Lord? How long until you take vengeance on those who have, have carried out persecution? You could say these souls under the altar are representative of people persecuted through all time. You know how, you know how far back persecution goes, the, 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 the unrighteous persecuting the righteous? All the way back to the first family. Cain persecuted Abel. And it's always the flesh who persecutes the spiritual. The fleshly always persecutes the spiritual. Uh, we have the spirit of persecution in our nation it's strong today. There is a spirit of animosity. It's called the spirit of Antichrist. And it's, it's, it's strong against anything that has to do with God. That's why um, sometimes we get calls around here. This is what I would refer to that, that indicates that spirit. We live in a, in a fairly conservative part of the world, a very conservative part of the world, where if you're a Christian, you can be bold about that. And, and there's, it's quite common to be, to be bold, at least in a broad sense about Christianity. Uh, I'd say bold, at least open. Nonetheless, we have people at times angry and filled with hatred that someone left them a portion of Scripture or that someone invited them to a preaching meeting. You think, why? These are people we've never met before, people we've not... I understand why some people might hate me. I could get that if I've met them before and had to deal with them. They might not like me, and they might have good reason not to like me. I don't know. 
but, but, or you, whatever. But these are people we've never met. All, all that it is is here's something that represents God, and I hate you because you are aligned with God. And so that tells us the attitude that's already in place. How many of us understand this? That attitude really has become global. It really has. It, this attitude of animosity, and it's, again, not everyone, but the overwhelming spirit of Antichrist. I think COVID, one of the things it revealed is how strong the spirit of Antichrist already is in the world. I had a number of good preachers. Jeff was talking about good resources and preachers that are able to get their content out there. A number of good preachers early on, men that have been in the ministry sometime, were saying, for instance, about COVID and about the vaccines. This is not the mark of the beast, but it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit behind it to say, if you don't participate, we'll cut you off. It's, it's the same spirit you find with the folks that press uh, climate change uh, nonsense. It's, it's, we have decided this is true, and because it is part of something we're wanting to accomplish, if you don't get on board, we'll shame you, we'll mock you, or even cancel you. If, and it's the same spirit that goes with the LGBT, so on and so forth movement. It's the same. If you don't agree with this... They are, they, this is the religion, it's the gospel of our age, the gospel of humanism and secular humanism. And so persecution is alive and well today, sadly. And the sad part is many are persecuted. The blood of many innocent people has been shed simply because they were identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we find here representative in these in this fifth seal. So let's go ahead and read this again. As I said, we're going to point out three things. And I hope something... That is, that is helpful tonight, uh, that will help us understand God is keenly aware of what's going on on earth. He's not sitting back oblivious, and we know that, but there's some things we'll see through Scripture uh, that come up into the ears of God, and I think it's, I think it's just an interesting note to see. So uh, let's, let's look here in verse 9. And when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And so this is who this faithful host is. They were not just slain because they weren't liked, they are slain specifically for the word of God and the testimony which they held. Verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true. This tells you they're not angry with God. They are, they are entreating him. They are, they are, um, they are asking how, how long, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, would these folks be justified in asking God this question? Well, the question would have to be, are they basing their appeal to God on something that he has previously said? Has he said he'll take vengeance on them? How many of us understand, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, they, these folks had been dealt with wrongfully. Here they are. They're, they're in heaven. Um, yeah, this is what's interesting to me too. They're in heaven, their bodies slain on earth, but they're crying out to God, Lord, do what's just in dealing with those on earth that are wicked. I believe one of the things that the book of Revelation ought to do for us is stir this spirit in us. Lord, how long until you in your righteous judgment deal with the wickedness on this earth? You see, love of God and love of man causes us to, uh, to abhor that which is evil. I want to say this. I say this as a personal testimony. You and I have to guard our hearts right now against becoming callous toward evil. Because there is so much evil around us. There is so much immorality, so much godlessness that it's easy to get used to seeing and hearing it. And not just to have our soul vexed like Lot's was day by day, 
but to hold God's view of it and realize it's evil, it's wrong. And so let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and just read what the Lord has promised concerning those who are persecuted, whether those who are persecuted during the tribulation period or those who've been persecuted prior. I can't help but think that so much the, this group under the, the altar represent the souls of all who've been persecuted for the word of God and the testimony which they held. We recently did it at home as part of our Bible study on hands that shed innocent blood. We did a reminder study about Naboth and Ahab and Jezebel and how Naboth was accused. And you remember what he was accused of? He was accused of blaspheming God. Jezebel, of all people, had Naboth accused of blaspheming God and had him falsely accused and slain so that his vineyard could be stolen and given to Ahab because he was pouting on his bed and wouldn't eat food because he didn't get what he wanted. And so that is exactly the way that happened. And God dealt with them. Uh, great message preached years ago by R.G. Lee called Payday Someday, how their sin caught up with them and uh, they, were, they were slain and the dogs licked up their blood and ate Jezebel's body. And uh, only dogs would, by the way. But anyway, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 the Lord has promised to take vengeance for those who are persecuted for his sake. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning, um, let me see, make sure where I want to be here. I believe I'm going to go through verses 7 through 9. I may be in the wrong place. No, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired of all them that believe because our testimony among you is believed in that day. This is a reference to what we find at the end of Revelation, the Lord returning with His saints. So in Second Thessalonians, we understand why these souls under the altar are saying, How long, Lord? they are still anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth with vengeance. That is, that is when the kingdom of God is implemented on this earth, when the Lord Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. There's a couple of things we can gather and glean from this. Here's what we know. The plagues of the four horsemen was not the wrath of God being poured out. It was the protections and the mercies of God being removed. I think it's important to understand because the things we saw in the first four plagues are natural things we saw last week. Famine is a natural consequence uh, of the sin-cursed earth, right? Um, the beast devouring and spreading disease or devouring people up, that's a natural consequence of a sin-cursed earth. So we know animosity between men and beasts. That came in after the flood, uh, this, this, this animosity between men and beasts. And so um, death, uh, everything that was already in place as part of the sin curse was accelerated through the four, uh, the four seals already open. But it seems to me that part of the significance of seal number five being here and these people saying, how long, Lord, we take vengeance, that tells us the first four seals were not the vengeance of God. A third of the earth dying or a third of the life in the seas dying. Um, the, you know, th these things, this is, not, this is not vengeance from God. This is just God with, withdrawing his mercy. I don't think we understand. Jeremiah said, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. I don't think any person on this earth probably understands how many benefits we are daily loaded with. 
The fact that we're not consumed of famine and plagues is held, the world is held together by the word of God, 2 Peter 3 says. Held together by the word of God. And so it seems to me the first four plagues, and the fifth seal seems to confirm this, the first four plagues are simply God pulling back protections and letting the things that naturally destroy, destroy more than they ever have. Man hasn't even begun. People say, my life is literally, uh, they'll say, I don't believe in hell. Hell is, is the misery of life on earth. And I, as often as I have opportunity to say, you have no idea what you're saying. No idea. To be under the vengeful wrath of God is something no living human being can comprehend except Jesus Christ. No man has experienced that until he drops into eternity uh, into hell. And so these first four plagues, as bad as they are, uh, the famine that's on earth and the death and the war are all things that we already have and the mercy of God is lifted and the, the, the cry of the saints who have been persecuted under the altar is confirmation of that because if God was already taking vengeance, they would have said, thank you, Lord, for remembering us. But they're saying, how long? We're working our way toward the seven vials. We'll have those trumpets and then the vials. And it seems to me, I think I mentioned this last week, but as you read through the, the book of Revelation, it's like the pitch of God's wrath and judgment just heightens and heightens and heightens until finally Satan is where he belongs, sin and death are where they belong, and things are where they are, are supposed to be. And so while we, we grieve over the way that things are going to be on this earth, may I say this, it's been a long time coming. You realize God has not judged this earth like he's going to judge it during the Great Tribulation since the Great Flood. And it, that is a lot of mercy. That's thousands of years of mercy. And so when you study the history of mankind, it's a history of rebellion against God, a history of rebellion against his naturally ingrained laws that he's put into our hearts, a history of rebellion against his written law, which he put on stone and then in a book. And yet uh, it's a history of rebellion. Even the choicest of people, he chose the nation of Israel and they rebelled against him and were sent into captivity. And then he sent his son into this world and his own received him not. Uh, man's history is a history of rebellion under the leadership of Satan. Now, Christ has redeemed the people out of that. Amen? And uh, we're grateful for it. We get to be part, we're part of that. But this faithful host, their cries, how long? They're crying. You know what they're crying for? Justice. We have a civilization and a culture that says we are concerned with justice. No, they are not. Isn't it amazing how many things right now, when you hear, here's where I'm, my ears are trained this way. When I hear the lost world crying for something, I just know they mean the opposite. When they're crying for justice, we just want justice and equity. I know the people behind that cry are trying to use that to create injustice and inequity, and it's true. We just want love. No, you're spreading hate. The crowd that says they're spreading love are spreading hatred and discord and division and strife. And so the world is perverse, upside down and backwards in comparison to the Lord. And so here's a, a group of people that are saying, Lord, we know vengeance belongs to you. How long? How long until you take vengeance? So that's their cry. Now, here's what I want, I want you to note, if you would. Go to Genesis chapter 18 with me, if you would, please. Genesis chapter 18. Throughout the Bible, there's been a number of cries that came into the ears of God. They are recorded for us that the cry came to God. We'll come back to Genesis 4 before we're done because the cry in Genesis 4 is the same, in essence, as the cry in Revelation 
uh, chapter 6. But in Genesis chapter 18, God is speaking to Abraham about the city of Sodom. And we know that Sodom had been living wickedly. And this is where this is important, okay? I, I believe this, for instance, tonight. The average citizen of the United States of America, if they believe in God, and many would say they do, would I think have a concept of God that he is basically disconnected from what's going on in our land. That God is basically out there somewhere if he is there and that he's not really paying attention to us. But this is not true. And the Bible bears out that the conduct of people comes up to God as a cry. It may come from them or it may come from those that are abused and harmed by them. But here's what it says in Genesis chapter 18 concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 16, the Bible says, And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I, which I do? And seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because the sin, their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. So God is going to go do a personal examination. Now, this can make it sound like God doesn't know everything. That's not the point. The point is God is just. He says, I've heard it, I'm, going to, I'm also going to see it, and then I'm going to deal with it. And so God comes in the, it seems to me this is, I believe this is a Christophany in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, coming to examine Sodom. Look at Genesis 19. Now, that's Genesis 18. The cry of Sodom came up in the ears of God. Genesis 19, verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. This is the cry. We identify Sodom and Gomorrah with immorality. Now, the chief sin of Sodom was pride. Is it not ironic that people, when they speak of the Sodomite lifestyle, refer to gay pride? Because that's exactly what it is. We will be God. We will determine what we are. We will determine how we'll live our lives. Us, we, and we're proud of it. Now, do you not think that the cry of this nation is in the ears of God tonight? It has to be. Meaning, long before Sodom was ever judged, God heard what that city was doing. It had to be a cry of folly a cry of indignation of God against God, a cry of, of arrogance that came into the ears of God, and God had heard it. And I think as we study these various cries, you're going to find out there is always a distance between God's knowledge of someone's sin and his dealing with it, and the distance of time is for long-suffering, but often it ends up being the ruination of the person who's committed the sin. Sodom and Gomorrah, they, what they did is they calculated the lack of God's judgment as there being no God at all. They calculated because he's not doing anything, we got nothing to worry about. As I often refer to, Proverbs tells us, the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. 
And so here God has been, is just. May I say this? If God was hasty in his judgment, the world would have been annihilated long ago. But God is merciful and long-suffering. And so as we look at these cries throughout Scripture, here's the cry of immorality. Again, I don't know how long before God decided to do something about Sodom and Gomorrah, he had heard their cry. But they had been this way a long time. And then God heard their cry, meaning the cry of their sin went all the way up to heaven and came into the ears of God so that God knew exactly what that city was, so much so that he came to examine what their cry cried out. And it was a cry of immorality that rose from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. In James chapter 5, verse 4, notice these verses. James chapter 5, and some verses preceding, and then verse 4, James chapter 5. Very interesting. James is rebuking here the Spirit of God through the pen of James, rebuking rich men who've trusted in their riches. Notice what he says. Verse 1, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. By the way, how many rich men think they're going to be miserable? Not many, if any. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your field. So your workers who are hired by you to do your work and make you rich. Then it says, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the Lord, in the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Meaning there were people here who had been dealt with inequitably. They had been dealt with in an unequal fashion. So the cry of inequity goes up, and you might just call it iniquity. It's the same goes into the ears of God. So the conduct on planet earth makes it to the ears of God. The cry of immorality from Sodom, the cry of iniquity from the rich men who've held back wages that they owed. They owed their... By the way, this still goes on. This still goes on all over the world. This is what sweatshops are about. Rich and wealthy men, working people, not paying them equally. Isn't it amazing? The world says, that's what we want. We want this equality and equity... Not really, not really, but God does. This tells us the values of our God. You rich men, you, you better howl and weep because you got a day of judgment coming. The cry of those that you have, have been fraudulent against has come into my ears. This message could preach a lot of ways. I heard a man preach this as a mission, missions message. There are people reaping your fields while you sit back and get rich. But here, it's a basic principle. There are wealthy men who got wealthy by holding back what was justly due to their workers. And God says, there are people that have gone home, and I believe this, literally, people whose families are going hungry, people who are not, that are not dealt with justly, and they're literally crying because of the inequity that's been dealt with to them. And God hears it. Meaning this, that old message, payday someday. That's what the book of Revelation is about. I believe that's why we can look at this in Revelation 6 and there's a cry coming out from under the throne saying, God, how long are people going to get by with what they've done? How long? You're the judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. May I say this? If you trust God, you know what you do? You leave vengeance to him. You know what? Those souls of those under the altar knew they had been killed incorrectly. They had been killed in a, in, a, in, a, in a vile fashion. They had been persecuted and injustice had been served them. 
Meaning, forgiveness is not, and what they decided to do is we're going to leave it with God. We were dealt a blow, but we're going to leave that with God. And they were saying, God, how long? <laughs> you, know, you know, the idea of this, that, 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 that love and justice are somehow separate is not true. Is God love? Of course he is. But the fact that the cry of those, the cry of the immoral and the cry of iniquity or injustice comes into the ears of God tells us that he is equally a God of justice. This is the amazing thing, though. Because of his mercy and long-suffering, there's always a space of time between the cry of the sin and the dealing with the sin. The cry of the immoral is seen in Genesis 18, 19, the cry of injustice and inequity in James chapter 5, and then, of course, we read in Revelation 6, and in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, the cry of indignation, the hatred of the unrighteous toward the righteous comes into the ears of God. Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 9 says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. What a statement. The voice of Abel's blood crying unto God. I wonder, I wonder tonight, I'm not going to miss this opportunity to reference this again. How the cries of all the murdered little ones comes before the ears of our God tonight. Don't you think for one minute this nation with its vile murder of babies is going to get by with it? I wonder what the cries sound like before God. There's no way God hasn't heard it. The cry of the souls under the, the altar need to remind us there are cries coming up from earth. God hears every one of them. He hears the cries of immorality, the cries of folly, the cackling fools who laugh at their sin and howl at their parties. God hears it. And the only recourse is faith in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, one day God's going to deal with what he's hearing coming up from earth. This, this cry of the souls under the throne is a good reminder of us tonight to fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Our God is still a consuming fire. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us, and it's true. And so then, uh, we hear the cry of these persecuted ones from under the altar. That's a cry of indignation. Not their indignation, but the indignation that was against them. You know what persecution is? I'll destroy you because I hate you. That's what it is. That's why Cain killed Abel, and that's why these are there in Revelation chapter 6, uh, because they were righteous, and the unrighteous killed them. And may we know it does not go unnoticed by God. So we see the cry of the faithful host. Their cry is for God to take vengeance on their behalf. They are appealing to the judge. Amen? Uh, this, this kind of reading is not consistent with theology that you'd find in the book called The Shack, where God is no judge, he's just a benevolent woman who just wants to make you happy. No, no, Jesus Christ is the righteous judge and the judge has been informed of the ill deeds of those here on earth. He knows good and well. He's heard the cries of immorality, the cries of injustice and inequity, and the cries of indignation through persecution. These things are coming into the ears of God in heaven. I think that's probably the greatest thing we can glean right here is that the cries of those who are truly oppressed and persecuted is in the ears of God. He hears it. I can't help but think of Sodom and Gomorrah. How many people were abused in Sodom and Gomorrah? 
You look at how they, they wanted to deal with the men that came in that city and how they were willing to deal with Lot's daughters and how Lot was willing to deal with his daughters in that city. Very much like our nation. You start scratching the surface of our civilization very much, you find what is truly abuse is everywhere. It's a sad, it's a sad day in which we live that the immorality of people, you know what immorality does? It takes advantage of the weakest. That's what it does. It always does. And uh, it doesn't go unnoticed. God hears and God will deal with it. So we see their cry. Letter B in Revelation chapter 6. So the cry of the faithful host. Then we see the clothing of the faithful host. The Bible says, And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. What a statement. Others should be killed as they were. Meaning this isn't done yet. There's more during the tribulation period. They're going to be killed as they were. God knows the number of the faithful hosts. But you know what? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Meaning when a, when a saint comes home, it is precious to God. And he takes note. You know what? I believe this. One of the things that proves out the wickedness of men and God will deal with them accordingly is how they deal with righteous men. Wicked men are revealed by how they deal with righteous men. And one of the things that's going to be held against so many people is, those were my servants and you killed them. And now I'm going to deal with you in justice. And so uh, these, these are clothed, the Bible says, as we find throughout the book of Revelation so many times, in white robes, the Bible says. Let's, let's be reminded very quickly about this matter of white raiment and, and how you obtain white raiment. Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 4. Speaking to the, the church at Sardis, we of course look through that. It says in verse 4, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3.18, to the church of the Laodiceans. Remember, they were naked and miserable and blind, the Lord Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Remember why the souls that are crying out, how long, O God, how long, faithful and true, they understand the character of God and are appealing to his justice and his equity um, as a judge, uh, why are they there? For the word of God and their testimony. Look at Revelation 12, 11. They're going to get white raiment. And this white raiment, of course, is a picture of righteousness. Many would like to run to these verses and say, See, you earn your salvation through faithfulness. No, you gain salvation by faith. And the one who you have faith in empowers you to be faithful. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame him. So the overcomers are the ones who get white raiment. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, not by the works of the flesh, not by the works of their efforts, but by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death, meaning they had such confidence and faith in Jesus Christ they would die before deny. That's saving faith. It was not their, their, their loyalty that saved them. It was the blood of Christ that saved them. You, know, tell you, what, you get a hold of what the blood of Christ has done for you, and it'll tie your heart to him forever. I, don't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine him being put in the position either deny Christ or die. I do believe this. 
If you're truly indwelt by his Holy Spirit and you've truly been bought with his blood, he will give you the grace to be faithful unto death. Amen? The word of the testimony is, I trust him. I'm not going to deny him before, before men. And uh, we understand now why so many of these were here. But there, you know what this tells me? These under the throne, these that were, that were persecuted, they weren't defeated. We think of the poor persecuted people. No, they're victors. They're victors. They're the ones, they're overcomers. I'll tell you who the losers are, the ones who killed them. They're the ones who are going to lose the day. The apostle Paul won. Whoever cut his head off lost. Because Paul, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But to kill a Christian because you hate his Savior, you're in trouble. And so we need to remember this and keep our perspective right. They're, clothing, they're clothed in white because they're overcomers. If you want to take down some notes, white raiment in the book of Revelation is mentioned over and over and over. It's in Revelation 3, 4, and 5, and then Revelation 3, 18, where we just read. In Revelation 4, 4, we find it on the four and 20 elders. In Revelation 6, 11, it's mentioned here where we just read. In Revelation 7, 9. In Revelation 7, 13 and 14, in Revelation 15, 6, in Revelation 19, 8, and in Revelation 19, verse 14, the host of heaven, that, that's you and me, behind our Lord and Savior, are clothed in white. And so it is throughout the book, and the white raiment is the righteousness of the saints given to us. By the way, we make our robes white through the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Now that's what gives us our righteousness. And so these are clothed in white through the, the sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and if you want to find any significance than being under the altar, they were under the blood. Amen? They were under the blood. And so then, their cry, their clothing, and then their consolation. What does the Lord say? This tells us we're at the beginning of the tribulation, or we're, we're not through it yet, because it says, How long, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest. I mean, just you're going to have to wait and wait patiently on the Lord. Rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Meaning this isn't over. There's more people that are going to die for Christ before God's ready to take vengeance. Again, how patient is the Lord when his own people are saying, Lord, holy and true, how long? And the Lord says, not yet. Now some read Revelation and say, what an angry God. I read it and say, what a patient, merciful God that when his own who've been persecuted for centuries are saying, Lord, how long? And he says, not quite, not quite. There's, by the way, if he started executing wrath right there, there's more. That, you know what it tells us? He's still gathering in, even during the tribulation period. And he's going to, the, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some in countless slackness, but his long suffering to us word not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You realize what is, when 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that's talking about when the elements melt with a fervent heat and the world is consumed. It's talking about the, the, the consuming fire of God's wrath and the tribulation. And that's when the long-suffering of the Lord is mentioned. Right here in Revelation chapter 6, you see the Lord is long-suffering when His own are crying. And He says, not, not yet. It's coming, but it's not quite time. There's more going to die for the cause of Christ. The day will come, but not yet. This helps us with a, with a practical lesson. Okay, if those who've been persecuted are told sometimes you've been dealt with in unjustly, but I'm not going to deal with your, your accusers and the wicked just yet, what you're supposed to do is rest. Meaning you trust God and leave it in His hands. In time, He'll deal with it. Is that not a lesson even for us? Because persecution comes in all kinds of forms, doesn't it? The most extreme form is death. But persecution comes through mockery. 
it comes through false accusation. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus gives us many different forms of persecution. And what we're supposed to do is rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is our reward. But what Satan wants to do is get us bitter at men and at odds with God for not dealing with those who've dealt with us unjustly. May I say this? If you're going to serve Christ, someone's going to treat you wrong because of it. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Go to Psalm 37 very quickly, would you please? There's just some, some good instruction for us here tonight as to how do we respond when we're dealt with unjustly. What about when we're falsely accused? What about because we've done right? What about when my... Okay, let's think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph did right and it got him thrown in prison. We know what Potiphar's wife did. Because he did right and exposed her for the adulteress she was, she accused him of her sin. Christians, we need this tonight because here's what happens. Who is thought to be by many in America today some of the most hateful people in our country? Christians. Nothing could be further from the truth. No one else that I know of is willing to go take a cussing in order to try to bless somebody other than true Christians. And so it can be hard to take. So here we are. Not only are we being dealt with wrongly, we're being dealt with wrongly for doing right. It's one thing if you're dealt with wrongly for doing wrong. You know, you, you do somebody wrong and they overreact and overpunish you. That's, that's oppression. That's hard to take. But when you are done wrong because you're doing right, there's a temptation to envy the wicked, to get impatient with God. And I find we need this right now. As Christians, we need to get this settled. Our response when we are dealt injustice is to take it to God. Tell the judge and then rest in him. Trust his timing. If he's not dealing with those yet, trust his timing. If not, their wickedness becomes our fall. Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not thyself. How many of you think you know what the word fret means? When I think fret, I think, oh, no. That's not what it means. Fret means to get all roiled up inside with anger. That's how we use fret today. Like, we think worry, worry, worry. Fret here means to be roiled up, to be, to be hot with passion, to the point of anger, even to the point of, uh, of, of, of offense, okay? So, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath, and fret, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil." One of the things I hear among the unbelieving world, but people that are actually trying to do right, okay? How many of us understand there are some unbelievers that are trying to do right? They're angry. <laughs> I hear, if I hear any news commentator and they're lost, what you hear is somebody, but they're conservative, okay? They're on the conservative side of things. They see where our nation is headed. They see, I was talking to a man uh, this week, I don't even remember who it was at the moment. I said, we've gotten to a point now where even unbelieving lost people can look at this world and say, this ain't right. 
because it doesn't take spiritual discernment. It just takes natural discernment. Some of the things we see are unnatural. So you don't have to be saved. You don't have the spirit of God. Just have, you just have to be alive and breathing to realize this is wicked. And their answer is, why are the crooks running the nation? God says to you, my people, I'm going to deal with it. You wait patiently on me. You do good. You let them do the evil. You do good. We need this tonight. You know what God's saying to those under the, under, the, under the altar? You just rest in the Lord. He'll take care of it in his time. In his time. Now, if you've been persecuted to the death and have to be told to wait, well, how about us? <laughs> We've not been persecuted like that. And you know, if we're not careful, especially in the, in the culture and the, the atmosphere we're living in, we start fretting. We get roiled up inside. Bunch of wicked, rotten people out there. I wish I could just... God said, don't, 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 don't do it. That is not the response. Lord, you know they're dealing with us unjustly. And the Lord says, rest in me. You just, you leave it in my hands. I'll take care of it. How many have ever seen, if you're at all familiar with law enforcement or you're in all, you know, in how that has to work, and I'm not overly familiar, but familiar enough to know, there are times law enforcement knows who the criminals are and know what they're doing. And you're like, why aren't you arresting them? People start saying, all the, all the cops are crooked. They know that guy's doing it. Do you realize before you arrest somebody, you need to be able to prosecute their case in court? You've got to have evidence that you can actually present and prosecute them on. This is where when you have corruption at political levels, it makes it very difficult for police to operate like they should if you don't have somebody that's going to be just and, and carry that out. But what happens is there's many times they'll wait so they can make their case. And I believe the waiting of God, first and foremost, is his long-suffering and patience, but it's also his justice. When God presents his case against the wicked, every mouth will be stopped. No one will say, but, no. When he presents his case as the righteous judge, there'll be no recourse. And so, you know what you and I, you and I need to do until then? Wait on the Lord, trust in the Lord, do good, and don't get all roiled up at the wicked. Keep your eyes on God, amen? If those under the altar had to be told that, certainly we do too. Amen. We're going to end with that tonight. The fifth scene.